special week. We call it um, Passion Passion Week, as it says up there on the slide. And so, um, you know what's between Palm Sunday or the Triumphal Entry and then Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, more accurately. And um, so, we're talking about this week here. So, Let's, um, let's go before the Lord and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more. Father, we just do thank you for this time now as we gather together to uh, spend time just to hear from you and hear from, Lord, uh, hear you speak to us uh, through your word and by your spirit, Lord. So just move in our hearts, Lord. We know that you love us. We know that you have a perfect plan for us. And Lord, we know that you want to do great things in it through our lives, Lord. And we thank you for that and trust that you'll just do that, that great work, work now as we just come before you. For we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So um, you know, um, so it's between, as we said, Passion Week. It's between this the triumphal entry and and Resurrection Sunday. It, it, it is that week. Um, it's the last week Jesus, of course, spent here on Earth, and it's you know it's been called Passion Week, and the history is a little bit cloudy uh you know there's different opinions on different things and why it was called passion week and and this and that so i I couldn't give you any great facts on that and we're kind of just sticking to the story at at this point but i i want us to know that and and remember this that the gospel writers spent much of their effort addressing this week and um um uh, again um chapters and chapters particularly the gospel of john about half of the gospel of john really is just on um you know this last week include you know this last week what we're talking about i mean half the gospel just about has to do with with nothing but this whole week and so um again you know teaching through this and gone through this so many different times um, you know, sometimes I guess I get on to the, the feeling that sometimes I just giving out information about what happened on each day and, uh, you know, I guess talk about the significance of some of it and we kind of go through the events and, and what was did, said. But um, I, again, I, I, th- this evening, I just kind of want to condense, you know, um, uh, up to at least Good Friday because we'll have a Good Friday message um, at noon, and so I know most everybody works, so just probably tune in online. We'll, we'll broadcast it live, um, and it'll be a short message on Good Friday. But, you know, uh, just to talk about those events that are, that are, that are coming up, and I, the, the Bible spends so much time on, on them, and, and there's so many events. To try to think that I could condense um, all of that into one study, well, it's just impossible, really. Um, but it is important, and there's a few things for us to consider. And so, you know, I've kind of pulled together some of those things. I think the Lord wants to speak to us um, that happened during uh, at least um, Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday till up till you know Good Friday, not including Good Friday. So now I, I want to put this chart up here, and I only just uh, and I you know you look at it, and it's a lot of information, and I don't expect you to. To, to, to look at all the information on it. But I, I this is, you know, uh, uh, there's been a lot of charts that have been put together. This is kind of my disclaimer, okay? Um, that have put together uh, of this last week or Passion Week timeline in the events. Um, and quite frankly, um, uh, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the grave. Um, there's a lot of people that that in this chart kind of demonstrates that how they kind of nuance what a day is considered um, even if it's one minute into a day they'll say that counts as a whole day um, and the time periods and so they 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 make it fit into good for jesus dying on the cross on friday and resurrecting on sunday personally i kind of a, I, I kind of think you know you you really have to have it Thursday, it's really probably Good Thursday. But not to argue that and to get into all that, or not that that's something we should divide over. I mean, you certainly get three days and three nights um, if Jesus died on the cross on Thursday. Um, it, it, kind of fulfill, it kind of goes in line with the Gospel of John that talks about being, you know, um, you know, 
giving up his life uh, when the, the lambs were being sacrificed on Passover in the afternoon, uh, three in the afternoon. But that all being said, um, I'm, I'm, I, when we go through this study, I'm just going to kind of keep the traditional Good Friday, the traditional way of most everybody keeps um, looks at the dates, meaning, you know, Jesus died obviously on Friday, which we call referred to as Good Friday. Okay. So that was kind of my disclaimer there. I, I know there's other ways of looking at it and even I kind of do to be quite honest with you. But, um, again, uh, we're, we're going to look at it in, in the more traditional way of, uh, of how the days are, are, are set. And, and again, um, Passion Week, we can see so much passion in here. I think we need to see we see Jesus in a in a in a in a, in a great way through through this week. And again, we're going to highlight some of those things. And so uh, Sunday, uh, if you want to make your way to Luke chapter nineteen, I'm gonna I come and kind of skip around in the Gospels a little bit, and I'll have slides up there. But let's start with Sunday, which is the triumphal entry. And uh, again. Um, it was prophesied, um, and, and I'll talk about this slide in a minute. I put up a little earlier than I wanted to, but uh, it was prophesied about. It was important about, about the triumphal entry. Zacharias said how he would come into town, what he'd be riding. He was definitely f- fulfilling prophecy when w- what the people were saying and what they were shouting out to him. And then there was also... Um, this prophecy in Daniel being fulfilled here. Now, this is real significant. This is the 70 weeks of Daniel found in Daniel chapter 9. And I won't say that there isn't, um, you know, it's uh, not everybody would, would agree exactly with this timeline, but there's, uh, I would say, a good portion of, you know, Bible teachers do. But as you can see, you, you have the weeks that are, uh, that are described in Daniel, and, and they come up to, um, uh, you know, according to how it's calculated from when the Jerusalem was allowed to be rebuilt that Daniel talked about, to the day that Jesus actually was going into Jerusalem, or what we call Palm Sunday. Um, you know, I just, you know, want to, I didn't really want to spend a, a ton of time on this, but you know, this is fulfilling prophecy. When he's coming in, he's fulfilling all these prophecies. So Jesus comes in, he's, he's, he takes the red carpet. We talked about them laying down their jackets and their palm branches. He takes a ride on a, on a, on a donkey that hasn't been written, and he receives recognition, okay? We all kind of know that, and that's all important, and I wanted to point all that out. But what I wanted to focus on was one event that we looked at when we were studying through Luke, and it's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. So here's Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He, he is riding um, um, you know, in. Uh, the people are, are sending praises. He's fulfilling prophecy. And then Luke 19, 41 says this. And as he drew, um, now as he drew near... He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had only known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. So again, picture all this. There's the prophecies. There's the people praising and saying, Hosanna. There's just fulfillment after fulfillment. Um, They should have known the day. They, uh, again, uh, foretold and the people are excited they rolled out the red carpet to him he's receiving the recognition he is riding an animal that would uh, represent you know uh, authority in times of peace um, you know the kings would ride on a, a donkey you know they, they had horses for wars and so forth and pulling chariots but they were just known to ride um, those donkeys like that and all this is going on and remember J- Jerusalem at this point is a madhouse you know again Easy a million people plus were there. And at some point, as Jesus is riding from 
downhill the Mount of Olives, kind of up that little incline into the east gate, into the temple site area, into the city proper of Jerusalem, he starts to cry. And again, uh, the only other time we have where Jesus weeps is um, over the death of Lazarus. But here, and again, only two times, he sees the future. He knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem in less than 40 years. There's going to be this horrific destruction, and we know that from history, by the Romans. Millions will be die, and they'll die, in a lot of them, in a horrific way. And not only that, he sees that, but more importantly, he sees that they just don't get it. They just don't get, even though there's prophecies and even though there's, uh, you know, things being fulfilled that were long told and that have been promised and then they knew about and they heard about and, and all this, but they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And he's crying because of their condition, because they don't get it. I, I don't know. And again, this analogy breaks down pretty quickly. But, you know, do you ever try to explain to somebody something and they just don't get it? It's like trying to explain an old person some new thing on, on, a, on a new cell phone or something. You know, trying to get your grandparents or your parents, however old you are, your great-grandparents, you know. You know, they just look at it and they just don't get it. In that case, it's me with my children. But anyway, that's another story, right? They just don't get it, right? Um, it, it, right? They just, I just don't get some things. But in Jesus, in, in, in such a greater way, and that illustration, again, breaks down so much, he's just crying. It, it's breaking his heart. He has this desire so much in his, in his soul, if you would, to have them draw near, for them to have peace, right? That's what it said in verse 42 there. But they don't want it, and they, or, or, and, or they don't recognize it, or a combination of both. And when he sees that and knows that, and it's not that he didn't know, but, but it's, it's just right here, between all this, it could have been this point, finally recognition and all this, it just breaks his heart. It breaks the Father's heart. And I want us to see in this one little portion of this Passion Week and these days that we go through, one thing that you, that you get out of this is don't forget this, that is that He has a love for people. And when people just don't get it or choose not to get it or ignore it or any of those other things, it breaks his heart to tears. You know, a lot of people think of God as having this lightning bolt and you do something wrong and man, he's ready to zap you. Or, you know, um, we just have a lot of religious people in our community that are incredibly superstitious. And they think if you don't go by a church and make the sign of a cross, or if you don't, you know, do certain things or say certain things, you know, man, you could get in big trouble with God or or bad luck, maybe they'll say it in that way. And they just have no idea the real passion and the real love that Jesus has for people to get it, to have peace, to know what they're really missing. I think, you know, probably the closest illustration maybe to this, at least that I could come up with, is 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 being a parent or, or you know, I guess it can work with a, a, a very close, you know, friend or, or, or relative or brother or sister or mom and dad or something in that way, some really close thing. But in my case, I, I think of it as parents. And, 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 and I think, believe that's one of the reasons why God refers to himself as a father, right? You see your children making a wrong decision, let's say. You see them making this mistake. You see this wrong attitude or you see this wrong direction. And, 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 and you think, oh man, they just don't know how much heartache that's going to bring if they continue to do that and live that way or act this way or, or head in this direction. You know, we've had experience, we've been around, we've known, maybe we've even done the same thing. 
And, and we know what that leads to. And we've talked to people and we've met people and we've been involved in those things. And, and you see them and it just breaks your heart. And, and again, um, uh, you know, that's, if, if that helps you to understand this, Again, some people think that, you know, Jesus just doesn't care, that God doesn't really care. He's far off or he doesn't get involved in any way or he kind of gets involved. But oh, how he loves us. Let me just remind it. It broke Jesus down into tears, seeing and knowing that many of them there didn't want to, wouldn't, uh, you know, had their own plan, had their own thing, and just didn't get it. And he knew what the result with that would be, and it broke his heart. And let me tell you, that doesn't change and hasn't changed in our day to day. He is broken heart over all people that just choose to kind of ignore him, hate him, live life their own way, do their own thing. He sees the road, he sees the problem, and, and he's like, oh, man, that dumb person, that's it, I'm just, that's it, I'm writing him off, or I hate him, or whatever, how people react. That is not who he is. Never misunderstand that. Know the love that he has. Well, let's move to Monday. So Monday, um, Jesus rides in, and, and, and then Monday tells us that uh, some of the events were that he, he was cursing the fig tree, and there was this second cleansing of the temple. And I'm going to read from Mark chapter 11, if you want to make your way there, or I'll put it up there. Um, uh, again, uh, we know that the gospel writers talk about Jesus. Okay, after this triumphal entry, he spends some time in Jerusalem, uh, and, then, and then Monday he's going back in there. And, you know, as he's going in there, again, he passes by this fruit tree or this fig tree, right? It was leafy and green and everything, but it didn't have any fruit. It didn't have any um, figs on it. And so let's read. Um, I'm sorry, I meant to read Luke 9:41, and I didn't put it up there. So I'm sorry. That was... Um, I read it and didn't have it up there, so <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. But here's Mark 11, uh, 12 through 14, um, and it says this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and seeing in a distance a fig tree in a leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, and because it was not the season for, for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard him say this now you think well this is kind of a silly story in a, in a sense isn't it right i mean why is this so important during this passion week to have this recorded in the gospels you know you read it over and over in the gospels and if you're doing the bible through a year with us, uh, through the new testament with us on um, the Bible app, you know, we've been going through and reading this, you know, a number of times already. And um, you think, well, what's the, what's the deal here? I mean, what, why are we talking about this? Well, there, because there's a very important picture that Jesus is going to make here. Now, again, we can't read all the accounts and put them all together, but there is no fruit. And then the disciples, you know, will see that this tree will actually wither and, you know, it'll, you know, it won't look good. You know, he'll go by it and look and there's no fruit, if you would, as he's coming there. Um, and then um, again, he'll see that as he's looking at it, there's no fruit and he's going to talk about it. And, and the point of it is, and what, what's so special about this is Israel had the outward, it's a picture of the nation, what was going on here. They had the outward uh, leaves of God, or if you would, of religion, but they weren't bearing any spiritual fruit. And now again, um, you know, normally, you know, we, I grew up with a fig tree in my backyard, so I know a lot about, about figs. Well, growing up with them, I'm not some fig farm or anything, but um, you know, leaves will come out. Um, a lot of the fruit trees, you'll see the blossoms first and then the leaves, and then the fruit will come from the blossoms, but figs aren't, aren't that way. Um, the leaves come first. 
And, um, and again, uh, it should have had, um, you know, this should be bearing fruit. And so God was putting this picture in here. The tree should have had figs, but it didn't. And so Jesus pronounces the tree is no good. And he's making this point, not because he was mad because it wasn't there. Um, and again, the tree, even though it wasn't the, the, the season for figs, as it says, but it had all the leaves where it should have had the figs there already. And again, it wasn't producing any fruit and it wasn't going to be any good. And if the nation didn't bear fruit, then that too would be barren. It, it, you're, you're going to end up dying. Religion is, is dead and it's going to look like that. You know, when the disciples saw the tree again, they looked at it and they said, man, this is no good. You know, our lives just can't be, and, and again, the application for us, our lives just can't be leafy with no fruit. We are called to bear fruit. And, you know, Jesus was making a, a, a point of this, and the disciples heard it and saw it, and he's doing this for a reason is, you, you, you can't live your life on the outward. What people think about you, how you look, now, that has to do with, with, in so many areas, people just think if I look nice on the out, if I wear nice clothes and my hair is cut good and I'm in good shape reasonably and I have nice straight teeth and um, was it no nose hair sticking out, Patrick? I'm sorry, we were talking about something, right? You know, um, I know, inside joke. Sorry if you guys missed that when we were talking about before service but uh right you know you know you look this way presentable then you know obviously people are going to like you and and you're going to be you know respected and people aren't going to make fun even it's all those kind of things but but more importantly than that there's this great spiritual application to it you know we're called to bear fruit and people can't put on religion in other words I know the Christian talk. I know how what people say when they go to church, and we do have our own kind of church language. Um, there's this little you know church language that you kind of develop of being a Christian for a while, and you hear you know these words, and you kind of know how people talk. And of course, you know how to act. You're on your best behavior. Certainly, you don't use any bad language, um, and you don't say this. And there's certain things you know you shouldn't say or do or act like right when you're in church. Um, and, and, and there's some good reasons for that, but that can't just be on the outside. You know, it can't just be, I'm looking good for everybody to think that I'm spiritual and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as godly as anybody else. Uh, again, Jesus makes this point with this tree and it's recorded in the gospels and spending time that we might Again, realize that he's not looking for you to be all dressed up and, and reformed on the outside and cleaned up and put together and know how to talk and do all this and then live a totally different life. He said, man, that's going to kill you in the end. It, it really will. Nothing good is going to come from that. And um, again, we, we have to be careful that as, 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 as a church as a whole, Right. I mean, there's a church that Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation, right? The church of Laodicea, right? Um, and you remember his message to them. And even the first church, the church of Ephesus, is it looks like you're doing good and you're doing all this stuff, but man, you lost your, your first love. There's no passion. There's no fire. And again, um, you know, Jesus talked about their being poor and blind and need ointment to open their, their eyes in Laodicea. And, uh, you know, just he wants you to have an intimate, passionate relationship. It's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. And he wants that to be clear to, to, to us. And so he talks and uses this tree, which would seem very kind of silly or not even fitting, to, to, to give us a great illustration of what he wants in our lives. He wants the best for us. And again, if you ever had a good coach in school, a PE coach or coach for a sport, I mean, they push you. Because if they push you and they, they teach you how to do this or, you know, um, or they teach you how to, to do that, you know, uh, you're just going to get better and stronger. 
or even physical therapy. I know that sounds kind of silly, but you know, I remember hurting my shoulder and, and um, you know, they're saying, do this and you do this. I'm not hurting my shoulder, I had a shoulder surgery. And, and you know, you're gonna get strength back in it. And I have to have a back surgery coming up in, in a while. And you know, there's gonna be physical therapy. And again, they, you know, how to be strengthened. They push you and they push you. Uh, you remember, you know, coming home from physical therapy, some, most of you probably experienced that. You come home and you feel kind of miserable because they've pushed you to make you stronger. And if you would, you know, that's kind of, in a sense, bearing that fruit. He wants you to, and, and it's gonna be difficult, And but it's worth every bit of effort that we put into it to make sure that it's not all about the outside, but what's going on on the inside. And so he uses a tree, an old fruit tree that nobody would have given a second thought to, uh, around in that area to make a very great illustration for them, picture for what was happening to the nation, what he wanted to encourage the disciples to do, and the message he has for us to today. So, coming down, tree, heading into the city that we talked about, and then Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 17 says this, Upon, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers." Again, the temple had become uh, this place, as he put it, for thieves again. Now remember, Jesus had cleared uh, the temple area very beginning of his ministry in the Gospel of John. But now he's going in there, and again, this is on Passion Week, and what's one of the things he does? One of the things he does is he goes right into the temple courts, and he goes right into it. Now, remember, that was a big area. And look at these colonnades here in this picture, if that gives you some, some sense and some idea. But it was a big place. But it become a swap meet. It just Think of a swap meet. I don't know. Think of a big swap meet. I know um, we used to have that old swap meet uh, by the drive-in here in Santa Cruz. Um, and I never went to it, but you can see it from the freeway. But I'm talking about if you've ever gone over the hills, what kind of a swap meet, right? In Silicon Valley, or we had this huge one in Orange County that was, you, you couldn't see it all in two days. If you went Friday and Saturday, you literally would have a hard time. I mean, that's how much stuff was there. It was just, it was just insane, right? So I don't know, picture a swap meet. That's how I pictured it. It was probably a little bit more formal than a swap meet because obviously the temple courts, but uh, things had been set up in that way and, and, and think of it in that style. That's, it, it, Jesus said, this, had become, this was a place for, for, for the Father, for God Almighty to meet you and for you to come and meet him. And it had become something completely else. And he wants everybody to know that. Um, you know, if you were on the outside looking in and not really knowing and, and, and seeing all this, you might say this, and, and I say this with reverence and, and respect, don't misunderstand me, but you might think he's throwing a fit, right? I mean, you might think that he's going off the rails a little bit because doing this... Um, was, was a huge thing. I, I mean, because people had to exchange animals and money and all these things were required for, um, required by, um, for them to meet with God and offer their sacrifices and do all those things that they knew that they were supposed to do. And, and you know, whether they were selling these animals or different things and it, or changing money, and I'm sure there was other things going on there as well. You know, this is a place for you to come to meet God Almighty, and a place that he said he's going to meet you. And this place is something completely different, and he makes this huge deal over it. I mean, you never see Jesus, you know, what's that old saying? Marty Primera, the best. It's meek and mild. Look upon this, this child. Um, thanks, Ethan. Sorry, everybody knows I have fighting a cold here. Sorry. 
My voice sounds that bad, huh? Do I sound like Janis Joplin or something? <laughs> Sorry. What's that? Look upon this child. Or I know you probably remember. Yeah. You know, you look, you think of Jesus this way, and then you see this, and, you, and I, I point this out because it's a big deal. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe there was a number of people there that were coming with a heart to worship God, to hear from God and, and, for, and, and to worship Him. There certainly was, those people were there. They had a heart, they knew that, they loved the Lord, and they wanted to meet Him there, and they know that He called them there, and they, and they expected Him to keep His promises and meet them there. But it was mostly the leadership and others that didn't really care and didn't have any respect, um, but mostly the leadership, certainly because they allowed it, um, to, to set this up. And now it become this big swap meet. And let me just say this again. Jesus viciously defends the place. Viciously defends the place. He's knocking stuff over. He's letting the animals go. The coins are flying. People are running everywhere. You know, birds are getting away. Sheep are going this way. Goats are going that way. Cows are running this way. I was going to say chickens, but there was no chickens with their heads cut off. <laughs> that wasn't part of a sacrifice. But you know what I mean? Things are going everywhere. He is viciously defending that place. And I say to us tonight, do you think he has any less of a passion for his church? You're absolutely right. No, he doesn't. And, is, and, and, and again, I use the word vicious and I use, you know, off the rails from the outside, but I'm trying to paint a picture here. You know, he did that then because it was God's place. And he is not any less defending and less vicious and less, um, you know, words that, you know, we normally don't use and use with the word Jesus about his church. He's not any less. And the church can't be anything less. And the church needs to please Jesus, not the people that come to the church. It's hard for pastors. It's hard for leaders in the church. You want everybody to be happy. You want to have ministries, you know, that'll, that'll, you know, this and that. You want that for them. You want this and you want this and you want them and to grow. And, and, and you know, I believe most people have that heart, um, you know, but, but again, at the end of the day, then, you know, then they try to chase those needs or what people want to hear and what they want to do and what they want to see. And I get that. I get that temptation. But he needs to be pleased. He needs to be come into the place and say, wow, I'm here. You know, not the building because of what's going on in the church. Remember, the church is, is made up of people, but they gather in a building and, 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 and so we want to say, yes, not like we got to get rid of this and what's going on here and that's happening over there. No, we got to say, oh, I'm here. I'm home, right? You know what it's like. You've been gone somewhere. Uh, Marty been on COVID in the hospital or some of your places taking care of you. You get home and like, oh, I'm home, right? I mean, we, we've all done that. We have all been there. And we want them to have that same feeling. Oh, I'm home here. Because when that happens, the natural results are that his people will bear fruit. They won't look like that tree that has green leaves, which should really technically have fruit. And again, he knows that that's the natural result. And remember, the father knows what's going on, and he cares about those who come to him and the church in our day, the temple in that day, is a place that's precious and that he vehemently defends and wants to make sure it's the right thing and the right way and, and, and said in the right and according to his will and his plan. And we just always need to keep that in mind. And, and personally, it's in our own lives as well, we have to watch out that the world doesn't infiltrate our lives either. 
certainly with the church, but remember, he dwells in us too. So let's take it down another notch, right? Or move it into a little bit more of a micro place, right? Um, you know, in the church, we can't let things of this world infiltrate our lives because he chooses to dwell in his people. And we can see his heart and his passion, if you would, behind this. He wants it right. He wants it clear. He wants it pure. He wants it what it should be because he knows how that affects people. Or as he's dwelling in us, as we receive him as Lord and Savior, he knows how it affects us in our own lives. And we see this passion on this Monday as he's in the temple area. Well, naturally, doing this is going to cause definitely controversy, right? And so Tuesday really is full of controversy and traps set by the Jewish leaders to trap Jesus. And again, that is takes up chapters in the Gospels, all of them. I mean, there are chapters that are dedicated to this, these controversies and these traps set by the religious leaders. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. And so let's look at a couple of specific cases on that in Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 27 and 28. And so again, now Tuesday, he had done all this on Monday and Tuesday. Then they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you you authority to do this. Now you can imagine that these religious leaders, and again, remember their religious leaders were their civil leaders. So they ruled over you. They were like your governors and your mayors and your judges and your police officers and your everything rolled up and religious rolled up into one, all these people, right? They represented all that to the nation. And you can imagine after what Jesus did, these guys were hot because that was their deal. You know, they had the temple set up the way they wanted. They were doing things the way they wanted. Oh, it had nothing to do with how God wanted it, but it was how they had it all set up. And here was somebody trying to flip that on its head or flip it right side up more accurately, right? And again, we know Jesus is teaching and uh, in the temple courts as well, and the leaders hate him and they're jealous of him. But notice the people, when he starts speaking, they love hearing him. They want to be there. And the religious leaders see this and they can't stand it because they're so jealous. And again, uh, by, you know, again, teaching the people, um, you know, this is what the Lord says. This is what, you know, the, the heart of our Heavenly Father is. And again, it was challenging their system. And here's their big question. By what authority do you do all this? Or can I say it the way maybe we would say it today? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who do you think you are, Jesus, coming into this place where, you know, for generations going back, our forefathers have been doing this and coming here and, you know, we've been ruling and, you know, this and that and that. Who are do you think you are coming in here and doing this and teaching this, uh, uh, you know, and that's why they're hot. They're mad. And of course, they want to trap him as well because he's challenging them. We have the authority. We have the way. This is the way it's done. This is the way we've been doing it. Or this is the way we've always been doing it since we can remember. And who do you think you are to change any event? You know, we have a way to do all this and we have a system and a program and a school and a this and that and whatever, how the whole thing works and how you have to change this and do this. We got it all here. Who do you think you are? Now, if you want to be part of it, okay, but you go through what we tell you you need to go through. And if you don't, you know, who gives you the right to do anything different? And let me just remind us, it still happens today people still have the same question to us today. 
What gives you the right? Who do you think you are? Who made you an expert? And on and on and on. Nothing new. It just happens today. Now, again, in a number of settings, you know, some people in, in church would in, in, that would go to a church or, or who are religious, you know, what authority do you have to teach the Bible and tell people about Jesus or baptize people or share the, you know, good news of the gospel or read this? You know, why, what authority do you have that, you know, what, what gives you the right to do all this? You know, we have a church system and a denomination, and this is the path you go to get to, you know, if you want to do those kind of things, this is what you need to do. And there's, that's the way you do it. And nobody questions that. That's the way you do it. And there's a lot of denominational systems that are still like that. And they expect you to do that. There's a path. And we need to remember what Jesus is saying in a very, very clear way is that, listen, I'm going to share the truth and, and, and what authority and what it, what it all comes from is from our Heavenly Father, God Almighty Himself, and what His Word says. And we have to remember, we have that same authority today. We have His Word as a believer. We have His Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And you know what? When they say, who gives you the right, or you haven't come through this, or who made you the expert, you can say, um, according to you, probably absolutely nothing. But according to the Bible, according to what I read in Scripture, what the Holy Spirit confirms in my life, well, this is what it says. And we can stand very firm as we should. Now, let me remind you that in our day and age, one of the other voices that's really becoming very big, one of the louder voices, isn't so much even going through denominationalism, is people that'll come up that'll say to you, who gives you the right to interfere with other people's beliefs or other people's culture? You know, that one of the big things today is to tear down all the, the California missions and all the you know, the, you know, all the missionaries that came up from Spain and Mexico and came into California in particular. And of course they're doing it in a number of other places as well, but California is the, you know, is the, the great picture of all that stuff. And, and their whole point is, well, who are you to think that you can interfere with the Native American Indians that were here? Or who are you to tell anybody on the street in Watsonville or Santa Cruz or Monterey or wherever we happen to be, Marina or San Jose, wherever you guys are, you know, to tell about Jesus and, you know, you know, tell them about the Bible and what Jesus died on the cross. I mean, who are you, who are you to, to, to tell people on these beliefs? You know, what gives you that authority? You're just thinking this is right. We're doing all this stuff to interfere with them. And isn't that one of those big voices that we hear today? Certainly outside the church, outside of, you know, religious circles have their, their own, but taking the bigger thing, and I think it might be even in our area at least, the bigger voice is the same kind of thing. Who do you think you are to interfere with people's culture and their beliefs and their, whatever they want for you to share or say anything, talk about Jesus or the Bible or any of this kind of stuff? Well... You're right, I'm a nobody, but I know somebody who is a somebody. And, and we share, and we stand firm, and the accusations and the traps will come, and they'll put you down and call you a hater, and you're bigoted, and you hate everybody, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll make all those accusations, which aren't true. And you do it, why would you do it? You don't do it because people like you, you do it because you love people. Listen, you're not winning friends when people are yelling at you right that. Nobody wants to do that, but we're compelled to. And we stand on what we know is true and what is right, and we do it out of love. And Jesus was taking all that out of love. He could have just said, you're all smoked. <laughs> you're gone. You're done. I ain't going to argue for one second with you. <laughs> he doesn't. He does that, stands firm because he knows that we have to stand firm in our day and age. 
Who gives us the right? Who do you think you are? Well, authority isn't, isn't in me. It isn't in my ideas. It's in him, his word, his spirit. And let me tell you all about it. And we stand firm in that. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And don't ever look down on yourself or have anybody look down on you because of anything else um, because you don't fit into some mold or they don't like what you have to say. We stand firm on the word of God. And that's what Jesus did. And these large crowds with very powerful people. Because he knew one day we'd be hearing the same thing and needed to be encouraged. Now, as they're, he's doing that, as he's confronting them, let's, Matthew 23, I'll put that up here, 15 through 16, Jesus is going to address this, the religious leaders, and I, I want to touch on this a little bit. And he says to them, because there's a lot, again, what he says to them, and he addresses these religious leaders specifically, right? Woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. (laughs) Woe to you blind guides. But wait, there's more. And I'll skip down to verse 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending to you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and will pursue you from town to town. Listen, we could spend a lot of time on this, but Jesus has the harshest words for those who should have known better. They were responsible for leading and teaching the people, and rather than doing that the way they should, they misled them. And Jesus is just like a mama bear robbed of uh, her cubs. Watch out. We were watching something on National Geographic or something, and you know, some try somebody, uh, an animal trying to get too close to one of these bears' cubs. And um, I don't remember if it was a polar bear, Ethan, or it was a brown bear or whatever. But man, this this bear, she went, I mean, she was just, that was it. I mean, and this animal wasn't anything compared to that bear. And you better watch out. And, you know, Jesus is saying that you guys should know better. You uh, have all, you know, the opportunity. You're in this place of responsibility and you're doing this watch out you know there is this big move in the church and it's certainly on the liberal side and the older denominational sides that are accepting and celebrating um, sin and sinful lifestyles and sin in so many different areas that it's acceptance of this thinking that they are somehow um I don't know what the thinking is, you know, relating to people, um, make updating the gospel to modern thinking. I, I don't know what it is, but they're accepting all this in here. And of course, we're talking about that on Sunday mornings, mornings as we're going through the book of First Corinthians. But woe to them, like a mama bear who's been robbed of her cubs. You know, uh, uh, again, Wrath was coming out. And again, he, um, but that, uh, you know, again, he is, he is warning them. He's given them an opportunity. Remember, this is how he's feeling. He loves his people and somebody is teaching them wrong or doing them wrong or leading down the wrong path or representing the, uh, God Almighty, or the, the Father in, the, in a wrong way or, or, or any number of things. And he is just not having any of it. And he's making it very clear to everybody who's listening, um, you know, what is going on with them. He, he, to say it mildly, he doesn't take kindly. And man, he's very, uh, again, has this passion and vigor. And those words don't even, don't even describe it for those that would mislead somebody in some way. Lead him down the garden path into hell? Oh man, do you want to get 
on the wrong side of Jesus, just do that. Make somebody feel comfortable in sin? You've got to be, you know, he's got the harshest words for these guys. He's got the harshest words for, the, for, for, for those people that are doing that today. Uh, again, we just need to remember, God doesn't want you to be religious. He wants to have this personal, intimate relationship with you. He loves you. He's not looking for religious um, people and, and trying to do religious thing. He, he wants you to know him personally. And anybody that would take away from that and, and take away from something they're doing or saying how they're living or acting or whatever it is, blah, 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 this list goes on and on, and takes away from this intimacy and this love and this personal relationship that he wants to have with you and talk to you personal, personally in a way that no other human can, uh, a human couldn't communicate with you because he speaks in a whole different plane, a spiritual plane that he can be inside of us and know him personally. You get in the way of that, The harsh words come out here because that's how much he loves people, particularly his people, or particularly people that might be misled into thinking something that is completely opposite of what God Almighty and the Word of God says. Again, important events. Important events happening this week. And, and then Matthew 24 um, as all this is going past them, now he's, he, this controversy is placed, and, and then the disciples in Matthew 24 say, and Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Listen, he, he had just been saying, as we just talked about, he left off in Matthew 23, verse 38, that, man, because of their actions and moving people away from, from God Almighty and all those things we just said, he said, the nation as a whole would be left desolate. And if Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed, then how would the nation rule? I'm sure the disciples are thinking, well, how is this all going to work out? You're talking about these guys, and these are the guys that everybody's looking up to, and everybody thinks they're right, and all this, and, and this, and that, and they're listening to them, and they're getting all the attention, and, and you're saying something completely different, and, and then you said this place is going to become desolate. Well, Jesus, just look at it for a moment. You know, and I'll throw some, I'll throw some slides up here. These are, this is the Wailing Wall. They don't really call it the Wailing Wall anymore. It's the Western Wall. Um, those, the blocks that are bigger at the bottom are the original, um, what we'd say, um, um, retaining wall for the temple went in Jesus' day. That's all that's left of it. The smaller ones as you go up higher were put up later on, uh, but the bigger ones were like found, uh, were, we would call the retaining wall that held back the soil on the temple mount up there. So imagine you see these huge stones and you can see them in comparison with people, right? And imagine the stones that were up there holding up the buildings and the temple and everything up there and all these foundation stones that are around it everywhere, holding it up on at least three of the sides. And he's looking at it. Jesus, all this is going to be desolate? You're walking by this stone. It's about five times bigger than you, ten times bigger than you, and it weighs more than, you know, a thousand of us. Um, what's, what's going on here? And, and again, you know, how, how's this all going to work out? We're following you, the Messiah, we know that, and, and everything's going to be desolate, no stone's going to be left on here. What's, what's going on here? And Jesus says, you, know, you see all these things? They're just, they're not going to be left on top of each other. What is Jesus talking about? What kind of Messiah is this? What could this all mean? Listen, he cares about these people that have been following around as disciples. They're hearing all this. He doesn't want them to be confused. He, 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 they hear this and their ideas are not lined up really with what scripture is. He's been trying to teach them, but again, they've been influenced by the culture and thoughts and how things they think should happen. And he's making it very clear that's not how it's going to go down. And, and then they're saying, well, how can what you're saying happen? Look at this. It just doesn't seem to be possible. And Jesus doesn't just say, you know, slap him upside the head. <laughs> Come on, did you get it? I'm the Messiah. You know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't blow them off. He, he, he says he, he's, he loves them, right? 
How, how's this all going to happen? Well, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's all going to be laid waste because it needs to, I'm, I'm doing a whole new work here. And again, remember, put yourself in these guys' position. It's like, you know, we've all seen movies or TV shows where, where Washington, D.C. gets leveled by some alien attack or Russia drops a bomb or North Korea, I think, is one of those movies or something that invades it or whatever. And the White House is wiped out, um, right? And, uh, you know, if the White House gets wiped out in the Capitol and all that stuff right there, and watch, imagine Washington, D.C. being in ashes and flames. That's how they would think about this temple site, okay? So get that idea. Lord, how could this work out if this whole temple site where we meet you and you meet us is totally wiped out? Shouldn't there be a temple there? And again, Jesus is responding to their troubled thoughts because he's looking at those stones and here's some more stones. This is what it looks like. Again, this is rubble that they've uncovered and buried down into Jesus' side. I mean, here's some of the stalls where they sold some of that stuff, right? That's what it looked like. It wasn't some, you know, lean-to shed with a tarp and some, you know, poles there, right? He said, this is what's going to happen to it. You know, the Romans are going to come and it's going to be destroyed. Nothing left on top of one another. And they're going to carry off everything and they're troubled. And so Jesus says in verse three, he says, and Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives and he called his disciples to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And when will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So he calls them over there. He knows they have questions. It doesn't make sense to them. You know, it just seems like this can't work out. I don't know how it's going to do this, how it's going to happen. You know, you're going to come back. You said you're going to die and, and all this. Listen, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He, there's, there's chapters in the gospel talking about his, what's going to happen in the near future and in the far future that hasn't happened yet. Things that have happened, things that haven't happened yet. He's going to make sure they know because they were worried. They were concerned. They couldn't see how this was going to work out, how these things fit together, how this is going to work out in my life and all this. And so he takes the time and there's chapters again in the Gospels written about this because Jesus wants them to know and he wants to make sure they understand the truth and purge out the wrong ideas or the things that they have heard, or the things that they had thought of, he wants them to know. And he knows that you have worries, and that you have concerns, and you're not sure how this is going to work out, and how is this going to fit together, and what's going to happen with this, and what's going on with that, and, and what's happening here. And, and again, um, and, and, and he's sitting down there, you know, the disciple, he knows you've got questions. He knows you have worries. He knows you have concerns. How is this going to work? How, let's going to think, how's it? Uh, 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 listen, he was there to answer them all. He was there to answer that and so much more. And he'll do the same thing in our lives as well. And listen, you know, um, just remember that. It's so important. He wanted to make sure that they would understand and know and they would be informed uh, and, and, and reassured and comforted and loved and known that, yes, this is going to happen, but I got a plan. Yes, it seems like everything might be going up in ashes, but that's just a place I want to start the new building on. Or yes, this is going away. Well, you just don't see that that's not good in your life right now. And so I'm moving that out of your life because I'm moving you over in here or I'm putting you here or you need to get rid of this. And this, he loves us. He's bringing us together and he understands our troubles and our worries and concerns. And we just have to trust him. He wants us to know. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be assured. He wants us to be confident. And he certainly wants us to be ready. And he does all that, addressing all of these things to the disciples when all that happens, from the upturning of the temple to all the confrontations and traps of the Pharisees and religious leaders. And because that ends us on Tuesday, Wednesday is kind of a, if you would, it's kind of a day where there wasn't anything like that going on. As a matter of fact, a couple of things happen 
And one of them is Judas takes a little side trip over to these religious leaders to sell him out. And let's read that in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So now, Jesus, there's no big ministry and arguments in the temple and things aren't going on that way. He's kind of got his disciples to himself and Judas decides to slip away and he doesn't like what's going on even after all that he's heard and all that he's seen. Rather than trust the Lord, he gives up and wants to do things his way. And there's so much more that can be said to that, but he's willing to trade Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver, which is a price of a slave in the Old Testament, by the way. If you killed a slave by mistake, you had to pay 30 pieces of silver. Now, I say this is okay. Well, this isn't, what's, what's the big deal here, Dylan? What's going on with this? Well, remember, Jesus had told them that somebody would, one of them would betray him, and they didn't know who? And I, I'm saying this now, even though it, it'll happen a little bit later on here on Thursday, really. But I, I want I, you say, why, why are you stuck on this? Um, because you see, when Jesus says somebody will betray me and he's really down, you know, it's like, man, I can't believe after all this energy, the disciples looked at each other and said, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who could it be? Is it me? They would even say, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Who, who's it going to be? I mean, Jesus, uh, Judas didn't have a, a black mustache, you know, and a black hat and a black cape, and he had traitor, you know, tattooed on his forehead or something like that. Nobody had a clue who it was. They were even questioning themselves. And I stay here and I, and I stop, stop here for a minute. When, when he does this on this week, you know, Nobody had a clue who it was. And even when Jesus will say, you know, go do what you have to do, but go quickly, even the disciples really didn't quite get it. They didn't really even quite, quite get it at that point, you know, either. Even though when he said that, you know, you'll dip the bowl in me and take it and, okay, go do what you have to do. And, and they're still kind of scratching their head. Is he giving money to the poor? What, did he send them on a, you know, an assignment? Did he give them something to do? I mean, what, you know, right? They just didn't know. And I say that is because... You know, if I was Jesus, I would be like, okay, Judas, you go, you know, it's your turn to cook the food and, you know, you clean over here and I don't want to talk to you right now. I mean, I would have treated him like a, well, pretty awful, right? Because you know the guy's going to betray you and, and do, but not Jesus, not at all. And I say that is because, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, with people, with believers in the church, you know, I get hard feelings with them because they said this or they didn't say this or they did this or they didn't do this or, you know, we get hard feelings, we get our feelings hurt or, you know, they did something they should do or they should have done something they didn't do and, and on and on it goes and those things happen. And then sometimes we start getting harsh feelings and we kind of want to put them down or exclude them or, or whisper about them to somebody else or do this. And, and the important thing is that, you know what? Jesus set the example and never did that in the worst extreme. You think, well, I, got all, I have a good reason. You don't know my reason. I have a good reason. Listen, is your reason any better than Jesus and what Jesus, Judas did to him? Not even in the realm. Not even in the ballpark. And if he set that example, so should we. And let me remind us, one day there will be a sorting out. Oh, it's going to be taken care of. But until that day, we are called to love people and let God judge the people. Even Jesus would say, you remember him saying this, I've not come to judge the world, but to save it. I'm not sorting people out. Oh, that's going to happen. But you know, now is the time for me to love them. And if something's not right and they're doing something wrong, don't worry. It's going to be taken care of. You're not called to figure that out. You're just called to love them. And I want to remind us of that. 
Jesus is the ultimate example of that, isn't he? Just the ultimate example of loving people. Well, I knew I took way too long on this. Let me, let's, let's just go to finish up Wednesday. He, he has them, um, and I'll just tell you, Luke 22, 7, it goes on a little bit more. He has them set up for the Passover. And, and there it is right there. And, and he has them go to this room. Let me just sum it up pretty quickly because we're running a little bit behind here. But he sends some of his disciples now to go prepare a place to get everything ready for the Passover meal and all that he wants to do at what we call the Last Supper. And I, and I, I, I say this, you think, well, what's the big deal? You send a couple of his guys, you know, follow this person and you'll know what place to go and there we're going to set up. And just, just remember this. I think this is such a simple thing, again, that we can read over. But Jesus never leads us to a place he hasn't already been. The Lord will never lead us to a place that he hasn't already been. Remember that. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, we saw a very clear picture of a, a, of a cloud covering my day and a pillar of fire by night because he was leading them through the desert to take them to the promised land. It was a, just a, a real picture. But let me tell you, and today he has things set up and he leads us. And that's why we can trust him. That's why we can walk in faith, because he is going to go before us. And when he calls us to do something and he leads us in this way, we can trust him. Just as he sets something up as simple as this, he does it even on a far greater area in our lives as well. And we can trust that. And we can trust that. And that leads us to the Passover meal, Thursday the Last Supper, the washing of the disciples' feet, and communion. And I want to save that for another time because we, we've gone on for a long time. Uh, trying to cram in the whole week <laughs> was maybe more that I could chew. But I, I just think these are important little lessons, and we'll pick up on some of these on Friday and finish them up. Um, but important lessons to remember. You know, Yes, picking a few things out of this Passion Week, but I want you to see the passion in this week. I want us to see the passion and the love and the heart of our Lord in this week, in these little places and these little events. And maybe what some more significant and some seem seemingly insignificant, that we might know of His love, that we might trust in His plan, that we might remain faithful and not get distracted, not get knocked off course, and not look religious on the outside, but not live it on the inside. Important lessons for us to learn. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, this time that we get to learn about the passion of this week, Father, and, and Lord, uh, the important lessons that are there. And of course, we know that you spend so much time in your word on this because there are so many lessons for us, Lord, so much that you want us to know. And we thank you for revealing what you have for us, with us, uh, to us tonight, Father. Uh, cause it to move into our hearts and into our lives and then out through in the area and the faith and the lives that you called us to live, Lord. Father, we do pray for those that don't know you, that, haven't see, that have a wrong idea of who you are that they might come to know you, that they might open their heart to receive the love and salvation that you bring, Jesus, by paying for their sins on the cross, that you might see the passion and the love that you have for them and what you're willing to do for them. May they receive that love, and it's as simple as asking, Father. And may we share that message, particularly this week, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.